podcast extension of The Pitch from Kansas City. I am the editor-in-chief of The Pitch and your host, Brock Wilbur. How are you today? Me? I'm doing pretty okay. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. I don't know what song I'm singing, but it's a birthday song that doesn't infringe on a copyright. It's a birthday song. Uh, yeah, doing pretty okay. Uh, <laughs> having a pretty wonderful uh, birthday, all things considered. Uh, traditionally, I have been somebody who has just a real hell of a bummer of a birthday. Because <laughs> uh, I have, since childhood, been the sort of person that puts a lot of goals in the calendar. And my goals that I put in the calendar are always like, it's January 1st. By the middle of September, this is when I want all my things for the year accomplished. I don't I don't give myself the full year. I give myself nine months. Uh, so, like, uh, even if you were the person that uh, puts unreasonable expectations on yourself, uh, mine are in an even more tightly contained uh, timeline. Uh, and so, uh, basically, every year since, like, middle school, I've hit my birthday and been like, well, shit. Uh, <laughs> let's look at the list of things that I wanted to do. Wow, I, I fell short. I didn't do these things. And so my birthdays have uh, usually been uh, internally just this like uh, round table of failure, uh, even though I accomplish a wild amount of things and I'm pretty happy with everything that I've done in a year. Birthday is always a time to sit there and be like, let's take a look at everything that we we missed, everything that we uh, messed up on. Um, and this year is, for several reasons, I believe, the first year that that hasn't happened in a very, very long time. And I think a huge chunk of that has been uh, just that the whole world had this shut down. Like, uh, you know, I I have a bunch of things on the list. And I, I didn't even look at the list. I don't even know where to find the list. I, I, I think I do. I think I know what, like, Google Doc it is in, where I would find the list that I wrote in January at the start of this year of what I wanted done by the middle of September this year. Uh, and I'm not even going to look because <laughs> one of two things, uh, lives there. It's either, well, uh, I got distracted and didn't do that. Or, uh, Hey, guess what? Uh, the whole world changed and, uh, no one could have pulled that off. And I think that that's where I am. Uh, mostly is this sort of, uh, Hey, guess what? Like no one got anything done this year. The, the mere fact that you're here at this point is, is magic. It is magic to me. It is a weird miracle surprise. Like, oh, things are going fine. Uh, here we are. But like, um, I want to take a step back from that. It's even better uh, because I'm like, hey, this is the year that for me, uh, not only did I, I don't know, I didn't finish that book. I know that that book is on that list. That book has been on that list for several years. I'm not done with that book yet. God damn it. I just want to be done with the book. But that is on a list with a number of other things that I didn't get done. And in the interim, instead, in 2020, I took over the pitch. Uh, and I took over uh, mattering to, the, to this community. And I took over uh, really having a say in how things work and how we try to get better and how we try to make this a better city, a better world for everybody that we know. Um, and I, I took over being a better me. Uh, I don't know. Uh, these aren't the sort of things that I would have written on a list nine months ago. 
late December of last year <laughs> being like, you know what? Your goal for this year, a measurable thing, is uh, to be a better person, to do good, uh, to make people happy, uh, and to be a, a resource for the community. I wouldn't have written that stuff down. Uh, and then uh, uh, three or four days later, stumbled into this job uh, where started actualizing those things almost immediately. And that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, it is my birthday, and that's what I'm celebrating. But uh, perhaps the thing for everyone else to take away is that, um, I don't know, I was raised in a household that very much valued setting goals, uh, setting measurable goals, trying to do that sort of thing. And there is a place for that in your life. But there is also a place in your life for saying, fuck you, to that. Uh, and and ignoring what, what a standard goal might look like. Because uh, it turns out that sometimes life throws you not one, but every curveball. Uh, and if your response to those curveballs is just to be better, to be nicer be kinder, to be more present. Um, that's, that's all anyone should ask for. Those are, that's the goal. That's what it should be. Uh, anyway, uh, today we have a great podcast lined up, uh, right off the bat here. Uh, we have our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment reading our piece from the last issue of the magazine. The, uh, the, uh, issue is about Casey Futures, which is about, Hey, what could the future of Kansas City look like? Uh, and it is a piece about reinventing what sports looks like. Uh, and is written by our own Joseph Hernandez. Uh, again, read by Jason. Uh, that's coming up uh, right now. And you know what? Yep, there it goes. Here we go. Right into the piece. Reinventing sports. Reinventing sports. Options for where our competitive spirit could expand next. By Joseph Hernandez. Kansas City sports are blessed. In the past decade, fans saw Jimmy Nielsen be the hero with at least one broken freaking rib as his penalty shootout saves helped Sporting KC capture the MLS Cup in freezing temperatures. They saw what speed do when the Royals won their first World Series in 30 years. They saw God reincarnate as Patrick Mahomes when the once-in-a-generation quarterback broke every curse on his road to leading the Kansas City Chiefs to win their first Super Bowl in 50 years. While COVID-19 makes us question the future, some things are guaranteed. Mahomes will be here for at least the next 12 years, which means at least six more championships. The Royals have loads of young talent to lead the way. Sporting KC is a perennial playoff contender and should stay that way. So what's next for Kansas City sports? This city is a sports town, as evidenced by the loyal fans who braved the weather for the Chiefs' championship parade, the fans who paid $40 to put a cardboard cutout of themselves at Kauffman Stadium, and the Children's Mercy Park sellout streak Sporting KC held. No one knows what the future holds, so we're taking a look at some things that just might happen in the next five years. Feel free to revisit and laugh at us in five years when our predictions are wrong. Ball so hard I think I'm Kobe. The one major sport that doesn't have a professional presence in Kansas City is basketball. Yes, the Missouri Mavericks count. Once upon a time, Kemper, now Hyvee, Arena, hosted the NBA. The Kansas City Kings were here for 13 years, having some fun along the way. Future Hall of Famer Nate Archibald led the league in scoring and assists in its inaugural season, the first time any player accomplished such a feat. Cotton Fitzsimmons earned Coach of the Year honors in 1979 as the Kings went 48-34. The same season saw Phil Ford named Rookie of the Year. The Kings even made the Western Conference Finals in 1981 while finishing the regular season 40-42. That's as good as it got, as it only had four winning seasons. 
outdrawn by the Kansas City Comets in attendance and general manager Joe Axelson's hatred for the city led the team back to Sacramento in 1985. Years later, The Rock would sing about the Los Angeles Lakers beating them in May to the Beatles' Kansas City. In the final game here, fans wore masks that mocked Axelson. A dummy made in his image was passed, kicked, and pummeled around the arena. Chants of, we want fat Axe" and signs reading, nuke Sacramento and kill Axelson were spotted among the 11,371 in the arena. Such a fitting end. We don't know when a professional basketball team will return, but it'll happen. A Bleacher Report article from May 18, 2018, reported that an unnamed NBA executive said to Kansas City native and then-SEC Network employee Jarrett Sutton that a team will make its way to Kansas City at some point. Sutton, now affiliated with the NBA's New Orleans Pelicans, said that significant progress happened since 2018. They've been in discussion with Mayor Quentin Lucas and other city officials on what it'll take to bring a team here. They've talked to Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro League Baseball Museum, and have received his support in naming the team the Monarchs. The league views Kansas City, along with Seattle, as one of the most valuable markets remaining. There's a vacant television market that the league would capitalize on by expanding here, as it would have the same reach as the Royals. Kansas City is definitely a hidden gem, and it's a great sports town with a big market in the Midwest that makes a lot of sense, Sutton says. Is he wrong? The city proves time and time again that it cares about basketball, as the Kansas City Jayhawks draw big crowds when they play at the Sprint T-Mobile Center. The venue is in the NCAA's rotation for March Madness. Kansas City also holds a record for the most tournament games hosted at 134. The NCAA comes here because it knows the city cares. The Midwest also has next to nothing when it comes to the NBA. The closest team Kansas City has is the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is over five hours away. One could count the Chicago Bulls, but they haven't been enjoyable to watch since Dennis Rodman skipped practice to appear on WCW Monday Nitro with the NWO. It might take some time for the city to warm up to an NBA team as the season runs in between the NFL and MLB, but once it does, the team will never leave. Women's everything. Speaking of basketball, what about the WNBA? Rumors swirled in December 2006 that the Charlotte Sting would be sold and moved to Kansas City. Instead, the Charlotte Bobcats announced on January 3, 2007 that the Sting would cease operations after the fundraising effort to move the team here failed. There haven't been discussions of expanding the WNBA as the league's focused on strengthening its current teams. But when it's time, Kansas City needs consideration. There's a market for women's sports, and it's a shame it took people this long to see the value women in sports bring. At one point, Kansas City saw what a women's professional team was capable of doing. FC Kansas City was one of the first teams introduced when the NWSL began on November 21, 2012. It made the playoffs in the first year and won the championship in 2014 and 2015. The U.S. women's national team had four hometown players on its road to winning its third World Cup in 2015, showing the world just how good Kansas City's team was. Life was good until it wasn't. Key players missed the 2016 season. Ownership issues forced a sale to a new owner that wasn't local. The writing was on the wall that FC Kansas City's time was up, and in 2017, the NWSL announced that the team was relocating to Utah. Not the way a team that won two titles quicker than the other professional teams in town deserved to go out. When does a women's professional sports league come back? The answer is already here, you just haven't heard of it. The Kansas City glory associated with the Women's National Football Conference began its journey August 19th to become the area's premier opportunity for women in football. The team hasn't played due to COVID-19, but this is a team that can be a cornerstone for Kansas City sports.
Glory President Vicki Kestermont was inspired by watching the Kansas City Titans, a former women's pro football team. She was in awe at seeing women compete at such an intense level. Through word of mouth, the participation and excitement for the Glory has grown. Mentioning Kansas City's women's football team lights up everyone's eyes. City council members were intrigued when she talked to them. She and her executive board have met with the Chiefs on multiple occasions, who have shown a lot of interest in the team and the growth of women's football. The natural progression is women's football. I have no doubts that our stands will be full and that the Kansas City glory will be very well known, Kestermont says. The glory won't be the only women's professional sports team in town in the future, but it's one that Kestermont expects the city to embrace in no time. With the NFL supporting girls' flag football and partnering with the NAIA and reigning champs experiences to make women's flag football a collegiate sport, the next step is for women's tackle football to claim a stake in the growing ground of professional sports. It's the next step for Kansas City sports. Sports of an electronic nature. Not one single person on the planet has an answer to when the pandemic will end. Traditional sports won't return to normal anytime soon. Getting totally blasted outside Arrowhead Stadium five hours before kickoff will happen again at some point, but it might be a while. The bubble for the NBA and WNBA is working, but it's impossible to predict what happens when they all leave and return to a society that doesn't take precautions seriously. Knowing all of this, how do we fill the sports void in our hearts? E-boys and e-girls, it's your time to shine. Esports, the term for competitive multiplayer gaming, has picked up a lot of steam. What was once considered a nerd hobby is now a legitimate outlet for people to socialize with like-minded individuals, profit off their talents, compete, and make themselves famous. The time for shaming someone for playing 47 days worth of Overwatch is over. That someone is me. Gamers make bank. Streamers like Tyler Ninja Blevins raked in $500,000 a month on Twitch. Players in the Overwatch League have a minimum salary of $50,000 and up to $5 million in prize pool money to earn throughout the season. The contract also includes health insurance, a retirement savings plan, housing, and outside sponsorships opportunities. Breaking into a competitive esports league is tough. For instance, there are 67 players in the League of Legends Championship Series for the summer. There are over 8 million concurrent players, according to Riot Games. Even if the number stopped at 8 million, only .00000838 of the game's population is playing professionally. Those 67 players have an average salary of $410,000, nearing the average MLS salary. Kansas City has a spot with growing esports organizations. January saw the first Kansas City Esports Expo take place at Overland Park Convention Center. Described as gamer heaven, it hosted tournaments for pro and casual gamers in Super Smash Bros., Fortnite, Call of Duty, and Street Fighter. There would have been an enormous gaming presence at Planet Comic Con if not for the pandemic. The Kansas City Pioneers, the city's first esports team, started as Lorenzo Brown's vision and with longtime friend Sam Kulikov's help, built it into what it is today. July saw the Pioneers secure enough funding to create teams in Rocket League and Gears of War where they'll be competing against heavily funded esports organizations for big money. Kansas City Esports, started by Gabriel Munoz, is the reward for his efforts in starting the first esports organization back in the 2000s, called PDS Tournaments. He didn't have the funding back then, but now the organization has a practice range at Hy-Vee Arena, where they rent out spaces for gamers to practice. They've hosted events such as the Quarantine Cup, which was a huge success. Munoz is the creative director at Kansas City Esports. The tournaments organized sees him and operations director Jeff Wilson come together. The goal when they formed in 2015 was to create a space for people to come in and practice their gameplay. The smallest of goals ended up with the biggest of dreams, as competitive gaming has a future here. We want to bring involvement to Kansas City. We also want to pump up the communities that exist here, Munoz says. 
It's vital to Munoz to support the community instead of working by himself. These are the communities he hopes to stand by and support as it expands. He sees the organization assisting by promoting the many different gaming communities in the area. It's more than posting events. It's spotlighting a gamer by streaming their gameplay and letting them spread their wings by sharing more about themselves to the community. Munoz hopes by doing this that it helps upcoming gamers realize that they can go pro. The more gamers that make it professionally from this city, the more likely it is that the city gets the recognition it deserves. Updown has taught the city that there are talented gamers here. They just need exposure. In summation, this isn't a definitive list of what the future of sports will look like in Kansas City. There's so much that can go right or wrong in the next five years. For all we know, there can be a brand new sport that takes the world by storm invented at Loose Park. Maybe sports cease to exist and everyone just has to deal with us bragging about being the last Super Bowl champion. But whatever the future of sports holds, Kansas City will play. And now, it's time for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spasic, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. We don't cover enough electronic music at The Pitch because it's kind of a blind spot for me, so when I came across the latest track from synthwave musician Corey Jeffries, I was excited to share it. Jeffries, who records as Commodore, that's com, C-O-M, adore, A-D-O-R-E, yay puns, has been making music for several years now, but just started adding stuff to Bandcamp earlier this month. Justice Clock, the first track from the Cyber Vigilante OST, the original soundtrack to the retro action sci-fi adventure Cyber Vigilante, is a retro-inspired piece with some definite industrial elements hiding in the background. If you're a fan of Gunship, Survive, Carpenter Brute at all, this will definitely be in your wheelhouse. Check it out and go buy it at Commodore's Bandcamp.
So today we get to round things out with a, uh, a fun little interview that we had with the mayor of Kansas City, Mayor Quentin Lucas, coming back on the show as he does uh, each month at this point. Thank you for doing this. Uh, where we get to pick his brain on how things are going. And uh, if you don't know, things in Kansas City have been going uh, quite awkwardly lately. Uh, there's been a number of issues come up lately that uh, uh, we just don't look good. We don't look good in a lot of, uh, in a lot of uh, national reporting about just how we are handling things. Uh, everything from some weird booing at a moment of silence at a Chiefs game, uh, onto a, a recall uh, petition uh, trying to remove Mayor Quentin Lucas uh, from his position, uh, where the Facebook comments on that are just riddled with weird QAnon conspiracy theories and racism. Um, so here is our chance to sit down with Mayor Quentin Lucas and uh, see how things are going for him. Uh, well, uh, first of all, I, 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 the same intro I get to, to ask every time that I get you on, hey, bud, how are you doing? Uh, I get to ask it in the same way every time because I, I know and I feel really bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I am, I'm doing fine. It is just one of those times where, Lord knows, there's a lot going on. It seems like, that, yeah, uh, just uh, a, a lot of those times lately. Uh, you've got... <laughs> You've got a lot on your plate that would already be a lot on your plate, and then um, you get some extra on your plate because uh, you're one of the uh, youngest black mayors in the country representing a very diverse group of people that have a very uh, diverse set of opinions, and that is perhaps why uh, one of our top stories this week has been covering the the call to, to recall you as mayor and the sort of people that are behind it. Uh, what have your thoughts been on that? <laughs> You know, it is one of those things where I'm just uh, committed to still doing my job. Uh, I think that anti-mask politics um, are not what this city needs, not what this city wants. I think most Kansas Cityans appreciate the fact that we're trying to keep our community, our region, safe and healthy. And so that's why, you know, I'm, I haven't really engaged with the recallers. Um, I think they're wrong on policy. I think they're actually wrong on concern for the public. And it, it's been disappointing to see, particularly disappointing to see some of the rhetoric, which I view has been largely racialized. Uh, and, and by the way, I know they like to the, the pick fights on that word, but when you're, you know, saying things, you know, describing parts of town that are uh, more heavily black as no-go zones and unsafe when you um, aren't calling out people that are posting pictures about Kamala Harris and, and that said just absolutely vile things about how she's gotten ahead in life. Um, you know, these are the sorts of things that shouldn't be tolerated. And so, you know, it, it is an interesting, if not unfortunate, movement. Um, I think uh, that it is in many ways a movement that has been anti-science, anti-black, and anti-bellum in uh, how they've interacted with things. And so I, I, I hope that as we go to uh, really try to improve things and address the challenges of our city for the future, we um, actually look beyond it and say that, uh, you know, we – uh, won't really tolerate that sort of rhetoric. So I, I, I'm not concerned necessarily. I'll keep doing my job, and it's just one of those blips that we have in life. It has been um, – I think I grew up always thinking that, like, there's no chance, just no chance in hell that I'll ever get into politics because I understand that politics means often having to make difficult choices. And at the end of the day, 
everyone is going to be mad at you in some way about something because not everyone ever gets everything that they want out of politics, which even within debates within that group, it becomes stuff that I is the sort of debates that I saw growing up as a, as a kid that was like, I don't want my tax dollars going to this thing when I really want this thing. And you're like, well, that's just not the way that tax dollars work anywhere. And there's something that is <laughs> I, 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 in sort of covering uh, the radicalization of, of the discourse in the last few months in this city, uh, especially around uh, uh, people's responses to your thing. I realized that I, I uh, really messed up my own life plan to avoid being disliked by people by going into journalism because now just as many people are mad at me, if not more mad at me, just for saying what you are doing or what people are saying about what you're doing. And I was like, oh, I wound up going into politics too. And, and just as many people uh, would, uh, are, <laughs> are sending me death threats as, as would have, like, <laughs> if I'd just gone ahead and done the politics. So maybe next time I'll just run for something because I, I feel... <laughs> tired of this already um yeah it is um it's been an odd thing and i feel like uh this is to touch on this is to touch on something that i i i'm sure that you'll have something to say on that will be poignant and will make me feel better um in the last two weeks the number of stories that we have read and i i had to like actively say something to the rest of the staff i'm like i am not trying in any way i'm not going out of my way i have no agenda here to try and make kansas city appear to be a racist city or to contain an overabundance of racism. But we have had maybe two pieces per day for the last week that have hit on everything from uh, the cesspool that is the open Facebook group about your recall effort to right. whatever the fuck it was that happened at the Chiefs game the other night and all the various <laughs> explanations. And I'm just like, on a national scale, it, it just it just keeps making us look bad. And, like, people yell at me and say, like, well, the media is making all this up. And I'm like, but no. we're not. And, like, it, no. it is a, a, as much as you want to think that, like, you and your friends would never be racist, like, I, I think you have to be realistic about a city, a metro area of 2 million people in the middle of the Midwest across two states and uh, what it can contain, especially in a year where so many of us have stopped sharing a reality. Do you have you looked at Kansas City this week in a different way than you've looked at it before, or do you still carry a different amount of hope than I feel sometimes? That's <laughs> <laughs> funny how you ask that. You know, one thing that is actually really interesting to me is uh, how many people have different realities. And it is one of the greatest problems with America right now. Um, it's not just a Kansas City issue. It's an everywhere issue. I mean, here's the deal with the booing at Arrowhead. There was booing at Arrowhead. I was at Arrowhead Stadium. I heard it. I saw that when the sign said, end police brutality, and we believe that black lives matter, some people booed. It was not a majority of people. It wasn't you know, necessarily every Chiefs fan, all that sort of stuff. But it happened. What has perplexed me after that, and, and trust me, I get the same blowback. All these right. people said, why are you trying to push a, a, a negative narrative? Look, this is not pushing a negative narrative. This is a fact. And it's actually, if you looked at my milk toast statement, I, I put it in terms of, look, this is just some small number of people. We're a much better community. But we've gotten to some bizarre, almost ass-backwards point where even presenting the truth is something controversial, even saying, hey, Kansas City Police, we can do better. 
And it's not saying they're 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 bad. It's not saying that there aren't there aren't heroes on that force and heroic actions and God bless all of them who go out each day. But it is saying everybody should wake up and try to do better each day. I don't want to eat as much crappy food. I want right. to be more accountable to people. I want the city to have better roads. There are things that I can improve all the time. And for some reason in our country, and you know what, I try to be fair and balanced, not like Fox News, though, but I, I try to be fair all the time, but, but it is more on the political right, where, you know, that there's the sort of thing of if you say that, if you say there can be improvement, if you say that, hey, you know, black people want to feel as comfortable in our city as everybody else, then, well, why are you making it racial? It's not racial. It's humanity. Right. It's actually just saying, hey, what the hell, let's be fair, let's be real. Let's let everybody have the same opportunity. Let's stop shaking our heads at statistics or, and then saying, well, it's because you need more fathers in the home. You know, if you want to get my passion out, the next time I talk about how we brought a new grant to the city for $1.7 million or we're trying to address violent crime and people actually respond to me and say, well, you need a dad in the home. I'm like, well, you know what, then why don't you sign up to be somebody's father? Because otherwise, I'm going to care about every kid who is in here today, in our city, in our region, because I care about their actual futures, not grandstanding, not these bizarre politics where you're just trying to prove broad points, but instead actually saying, you know what, I actually give a damn about the 13-year-old who's walking around right now, not the pretend perfect black family that Republicans think that they can create out of the Cleaver family from Leave it to Beaver that doesn't even exist for white people. So anyway, that, that's my jam too. I'm with you, man. There is, yeah, there's been a, a bizarre uh, crossover that, like, uh, since, since the mid 2000s, that any form of, of criticism comes off as, as condemnation. The idea that anyone could try better if is you really shitting on on their entire institution. Sure, like, exactly if you right. say that the police could do better, it is saying that, like, we shouldn't have police and I, I only like criminals, and, and somehow that is how right. far it goes. And it's, he, uh, Chris Rock had an interview yesterday that went uh, viral online where he was talking about how uh, white people see progress in America. They see things like Barack Obama became president, and that's progress. Uh, but that progress, uh, as, as that is defined, is, is just... Uh, it is just less abuse, and less abuse isn't progress. It is like if a woman was in an abusive marriage and the man stops beating her, you don't turn to that woman and say, wow, look at all the progress you've experienced. It's just <laughs> less of the, less of the awful point. thing. And like to try and look at race in, the country, in this country the same way is to is look at that. I, I've been thinking about that quote in relation to our city a lot and everything stemming from like certainly the, the dozens of hours I've had to spend on, on the chief's doing thing, and I'm like, I don't know. Like we, I, I do believe in the concept of progress, but also like some of that is is white person progress. Where I was, I was like, oh look, at least they're doing a thing where like we're doing a moment of unity. But like that moment of unity was booed, and then we tried to pretend away the fact that there were bad faith actors and people were mad about a reality that clearly existed and that whole country saw, and that was wildly embarrassing for all of us. And that even if you, yeah. Like, as we've gone through the list of excuses on what happened there, the most recent one that somebody offered up to us was like, well, it wasn't a whole 17,000 people there. It was 11,000 people there. And I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that does. What, what, what does that make better? Like, does that mean more, more people booed? Or, like, you could hear more booing? It, it doesn't invalidate the reality. Of the yeah, our, our, our version of progress needs to involve a lot more of 
accepting of the realities and, and of accepting, I think, of, of, of our failures. And maybe that's what people don't want to want to shine that light. It's like, hey, like, you know, if you can't acknowledge the fact that redlining has devastated this community for generations and that there has to be work to be done on that and that, yeah, maybe your tax dollars need to go to help that, then, like, there's no progress to ever be had. It's, it's, such, an, it's such a fascinating time, and it feels like a – I, I know that uh, we are in our, our sort of bubble here for the Metro, uh, but um, this has felt like a particularly bad couple of weeks, and that's why it feels particularly good to be talking to you, because I, I know that you always have your head on your shoulders about this, uh, even when these things become personal, and I'm just, uh, I think I feel even a little rudderless with, with what, what to do right now, including that, like, uh, uh, even last night at the Transportation Commission uh, uh, Councilwoman Lore uh, was basically asked to be removed uh, from her by her committee colleagues. They asked you to have, have her step down based on racist remarks. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, I, it, it, it's just something like that. Or uh, for people that aren't in the know, uh, Johnson City County Commissioner Mike Brown went on some uh, rant the other day about oh, yeah. how war is coming, and you went to Twitter to be like, please stop, this is racist and dumb, and please don't do what you're doing. And, like, that guy's an elected official in our city, man. It's just like, who, where, does it, where does it end, and where does somebody get on the train to start actually trying to, to create positive change? <laughs> right. I mean, that's exactly right. It is, um, you know, the, the weirdest thing is, in the Mike Brown situation, the Johnson County Commissioner is particularly telling, which is that, you know, people just put up, uh, if I can be profane, although Morgan will get mad at me, I mean, that was a batshit nutty post. It was, I mean, get your arms ready for war. The Democrat, the, the, the beating war. of war drums, yeah. It, right. it's, it's, it's an it, older white guy using this weird poetry of the oppressed, and I'm right. like, what is this beat poem about going to battle, you Zulu right. warrior, that, like, I just don't understand. Right. And I mean, and it's just, particularly when you see, when you see how much many of us who are in leadership are trying our best, to be balanced. Kansas City does not have every COVID-19 restriction that I would like us to have, for example, right? Partially because I don't, I don't want us to have to deal with some guy who is outside and, you know, in a group of 200 people at a, I don't know, a park, you know, facility and says, darn it, I don't need to wear a mask. And then we have to call the police and you got to, I mean, you just, you just know too much that that's where it's going. Or right now in the era of every public school district has a lawsuit that they don't let the kids play lacrosse this fall. I mean, it's, um, it, it's odd to me. And it has been really frustrating. That said, you kind of asked before, how does one handle it? The way right. one handles it is simply to say, look, I can't give up. I can't quit it. Right. I can't just, you know, kind of, stick my head in the sand and say, well, Kansas City's going to be all right, and there's a picture of me at a Chiefs game or something, which is also controversial, right? Instead, right, where we well, have you to can't take a picture is... anywhere without somebody being mad at you for some right. situation that well, they, they've perceived slight. <laughs> right. But, you know, my view is, and I'm looking out for that, for that person who is concerned about COVID-19. I'm looking out for that person with pre-existing conditions. I'm looking out for that person who has some grave concern uh, about our community. And frankly, I'm looking out for the many of us, the vast majority of us, who frankly just give a damn about somebody else. You know, it's odd because, yeah, there are people more to the left of me and more to the right of me, but I'm just a member of the give-a-damn party. I'm like, I just want you to care about somebody else. 
you know, and and I've got friends I talk to and all that sort of stuff. I think they're the same way. These are these are guys who think they're in shape and all of that. Don't know how long COVID is going to be around, but they're like, you know, hell, I wear a mask just because I I care. I'm not an I'm not an asshole. I mean, that's what people need to do more of and say more of. And so, you know, and I'm and I'm looking out for not just you know those folks, but really for all those folks that say we need you there. We need you to to fight some of these fights. And I'm proud to do that, and I'm going to be proud to do that. I'm certain for at least another three years. My uh, one of my best friends uh, passed uh, at the start of last month, and um, yeah, uh, maybe the most in fit 29 year old in shape, not 29 year old dude I'll ever know in my entire life. And when it came, it came out of nowhere. And I think all the rest of us were just like, my his body was a was a goddamn temple. Like if there's anyone that could have just fought the virus and survived, like it just didn't make sense that like it got him and like it it it, it strikes new rounds of fear. There there's been something that that's that happened at the start of this, uh especially before there was the mask mandates to wear things into uh into businesses that uh boy me and my therapist spent a lot of time talking about, which was simply that for the first time in in human history, you could visibly see uh the empathy level of other human beings around you. Like yeah. uh, if you saw somebody that didn't care about spacing, didn't care about wearing a mask, uh, would and, and like I remember going into a Target and there were half people in masks and half people without, and there was a thing that friends of mine had pointed out that they were like, I, I find myself in line next to somebody without a mask and they're like sneering at me or laughing or acting like they want to start a fight and I'm just like I'm here with my kid and we're just wearing masks. Why does it? Why does it matter? And and the, it was just like wow that. The, the the somehow the politi- politicalization of it became one thing, but the rest of it was just like you can visibly see how much the person cares about other people around them. And I was like, I feel like the psychological effects of that will linger for a long time because I know which neighbors of mine didn't. And like for years to come, I remember like, hey, Greg, I do remember that you never once seemed to uh, to care about those around you, and that uh, that bothers me. Like I worry about some of the I worry about the resentment at the end of this when you remember the neighbor that you saw who hoarded toilet paper despite the sign saying, please only take one, and you're like, right. come, on, come on, Karen, like, and you'll remember for years, like, oh, she was the person that, like, didn't give a shit. And, like, I, I worry that everyone on both sides of this comes out with this weird chip on the shoulder that is already far worse than the politicalization that we have going into a goddamn election year, and that, that terrifies me just as much as the virus does. Right. I mean, it has been just uh, all these things that don't need to be politicized. I mean, I, you know, if I go into the wrong or right venue and I'm wearing a mask, yeah, the people that are almost sizing you up and judging you to a, a negative is, is, you know, something that's unnecessary. And you know, something that's been more pronounced probably for me is as a minority in this country, you're always kind of experiencing a moment of, uh, being an outsider, frankly, feeling like right. you're, you know, you're not always like one of the group you're in. And I've actually probably felt a lot more of that over the last uh, six months. A lot more people just basically assuming. Well, you're outside of yet another group. Like, you know, how much further right. can we whittle you down into a specific right. outsiderdom? <laughs> you know, and, and my view continues to be, you know, why don't we actually – just, you know, try to say, all right, what is our commonality? And make it rhetoric. You know, don't write pieces about beating the war drum, but instead try to say, you know, all right, this is this is what we need to do for our future, and let's just go do it. 
So that's that's where I've been and what I'm vibing. I warn you, I've got to sneak on a call at, at noon. So is there any other magic question you might have? Sorry to cut our time. Okay, cool. Um, uh, yeah, sure. I, I just love to talk uh, for a couple minutes here quickly about um, uh, we recently published an op-ed from you in our futures uh, issue about yeah. uh, about how our correctional system could uh, return to being about correcting people uh, rather than being a system of punishment. It was very well received, and it had a lot of ideas in it that I, I really love. Would you touch on some of what your main themes are with that and, and do you think that we can pull them off? You know, yeah. I mean, generally, there are a few different things that we need to do, and one is rethinking crime and incarceration, particularly for petty offenses. Something that I have seen so often, and I got a message from a mom in Kansas City just yesterday about this, where, you know, a marijuana charge, one small thing, gets somebody into a cycle of uh, of trouble. And that cycle of trouble makes it harder to get a job. And then you, you light them up with a felony. And then all of a sudden we wonder why people are in sustained moments of crisis. And so that's why one of, I think, the biggest changes we can make, and by the way, I know there are people on my left sometimes, a lot, uh, that say you're not doing enough, and if you haven't fired Rick Smith or all these other things, you're not there. But, you know, my view is this. We are changing lives. Our change on marijuana policy will change life outcomes for people. Our change on parking ticket policy will change life outcomes. Our change on how we are addressing municipal courts and arrests will change things for people. I'm exceedingly proud of that, and I think that's the sort of work that we need to do nationally to try to make sure that, one, you have fewer police community negative interactions because instead of a whole dragnet of people being the black community where you're saying every expired license and all the sort of thing can lead you to criminality and criminal arrest, and instead we're saying, all right, how can we treat this? How can we address this? How can we fundamentally decriminalize poverty? That's the sort of change that I think we, we will make and are making in Kansas City that I'm proud of. And as we talk about reform, that's what I think needs to be key and central. As a final question, uh, sort of revolving around your uh, your piece you wrote for us, there was, there was uh, a bit that we had to kind of strike from it just for, for space that like, I find wildly fascinating. And uh, it is that you, uh, you've done uh, teaching uh, and you've done teaching uh, inside correctional facilities like Lansing, mm -hmm. and you have some stories around that, including one uh, about a, a sign-in sheet uh, where the guard did not see yeah. the appropriate number of people yeah. on there. Can you share that one with us? Oh, man, that was one of the more interesting moments. So I had a, <laughs> I'm at a maximum security prison in New York State by the name of Auburn. And uh, and so I am. It was. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, you know, you go to your class, the the inmates fill in, all that sort of stuff, and then the guard, who was a very tall white man, uh, had said, "Hey, you guys know you need to sign in. There, are, you know, 18 names on this list. I'm counting 19." And then everybody looks, and uh, and then one of the inmates is like, "Oh, damn, man, you even clowning on the professor." And everybody's like, yeah, that's some, that's some bull that we got to deal with. And I mean, it was so fascinating. So I think eye-opening in a way, right? I was a teacher. I was this hotshot law student, or so I thought. I didn't think I was dressed like an inmate because they actually have required attire. And I'm still a brother in a prison. And, and, still... and that, that, that work in that time is what sort of taught you and allowed you to teach other students that, like, Sometimes it's really appropriate to be angry at society, and that's where positive change comes from. That's correct. That's correct. 
So, you know, I think I think that's that's and that's how I always try to make change. You know, if there's a challenge right now with movements on the left, I think, uh, and I'll be quick on it, is uh, that there are some who are thinking, and I, I agree, incrementalism is not the approach necessarily, but there are some who think that um, there will be this immediacy in our changes. I've always, and maybe it's why I was a teacher. I'm big on the, if I'm empowering people, if I'm freeing people from harms relating to incarceration, picketing, small offenses, then that's us getting somewhere. That's actually us creating freedom for them to improve and empower themselves, and that is long-term how we can turn things around. Long-term how we can tell people, yeah, you do get real second, third, fourth chances in, in society if you're black and live in the inner city, just like all the white bros I went to high school with have had time and again. That's the sort of thing that I think we need to see in sport in Kansas City long term. Mayor Lucas, thanks so much for chatting with us today. Good luck with the rest of your day. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And that has been the Streetwise podcast from the pitch of Kansas City. Please, please consider becoming a member, a sustaining member, supporting us, uh, or or just tossing in a few bucks here or there uh, via our website. Uh, go to thepitchkansascity.com, thepitchkc.com. Uh, and and sign up, sign up to, to support what we're doing. Uh, we are providing lifeblood journalism to the, to the city right now. We are working twenty four seven, and we are just trying to do well by you. And um, we are making it through by the skin of our teeth. If you can help out, that would be much appreciated. Uh, our editor is Terrence Wiggins, who you should hire. Uh, Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment read our piece, written by Joseph. Uh, you should find him and hire him for voiceover work. Um, we just really enjoy making the show, um, and we have big, cool new things coming out soon. Um, everybody, have yourselves a wonderful day. Treat yourself like it is your birthday. Pitch in, and we'll make it through.